Well, hello, B4 Church. How are we doing today? Yeah. Wow. Oh, there is energy in the room. I lo- wow. Wow. What if I totally flopped this? Oh, man. Oh, wow. The expectations are high. Oh. Well, hello, everyone. If I have not had the chance to meet you that yet, my name is David. I am the young adults pastor and one of the youth pastors here. And we are in a series on miracles. We are looking at this grand story of God and seeing instances of miracles. And miracles we are defining as a divine manifestation of God's power that creates a reversal and reveals his character and purpose in our world. Or in short, when heaven invades earth and creates beauty. Now, if you are here and you're a skeptic, uh, first off, welcome, glad you're here, you belong here, but if you're here and you're a skeptic, the idea of miracles is kind of like, I I can't really get behind that. If you're here and you have been following Jesus for a while, you're like, yeah, I I do believe in miracles, but if we're being honest, even for those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, it's hard to sometimes always believe that the miracles seen in the Bible can actually happen today. And my hope for each and every one of you, whether you are a skeptic or you can get behind the idea of miracles, wherever you are at, my hope is that you would see the reality of God breaking into your present life. So last week, Pastor Bo, she talked about the miracle of freedom. And this morning, we are talking about the miracle of satisfaction. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus feeding this great crowd with five loaves of bread and two fish. It's a pretty familiar story for those of us who have been a part of church for more than a couple of years. Uh, If you are new to this church thing, we are glad you're here and you're in for a fun story. But this morning, I want to talk about how this miracle of satisfying a hungry crowd is actually a pointer to a greater miracle that is available to us today. But before we get into that, I have a question for you, and it's pretty simple. What do you want? When you stop to really think about it, when you really take some time to look deep in your soul, what is it that you want? Maybe it's that, that dream job, that dream vacation, that ideal salary, or maybe if you're in high school, get into that dream school or actually get your crush to like you back. Whatever it may be, what is it that you want? According to Sigmund Freud, the incredibly influential Austrian psychologist, what we want is really quite simple. Freud concluded that the satisfying pleasures of romantic physical love drives us to seek that satisfaction of happiness through sexual relations and make that the central pursuit of our lives. In other words, it's all about sex. The key to living a deeply fulfilled and satisfying life, the life that we are all wanting, Do whatever is sexually gratifying to you. That's the key. And friends, much of our cultural obsession around sex is influenced by Freud's theory around sex being the key to a satisfying life. But there's a problem. Sex isn't satisfying. I mean, before you object, yeah, maybe in the moment it is, but it does not have lasting satisfaction. And not only that, we find that the things we long for in our lives, 
they, they don't satisfy us completely. I think of the, the Little Mermaid, which the live action movie just came out in theaters. And the, this Little Mermaid, she, she has everything she, she could ever want, and yet she wants more. She wants to be where the people are, or more specifically, where the handsome dude is. <laughs> and so she, she has everything she could ever want. She wants more. She gets more, she gets the guy. And that's the end of the story. The unfortunate thing is that the story ends before she lives with him for a little while, realizes he's a human, realizes he's imperfect, realizes he doesn't do the dishes right. Like, it's just, it ends too soon. Often, when we get what we want, we realize that it doesn't have this lasting satisfaction that we are longing for in the depths of our soul. The dream job isn't as glamorous as we want. The dream vacation isn't the perfect vacation. Money doesn't satisfy. In the words of the poet Wallace Stevens, but in contentment, I feel the need for an imperishable bliss. When we stop to think about it, we all have an internal longing that the things of this world may fulfill in the moment, but not fully satisfy. Have you ever noticed that longing, that longing inside your soul? And we may assume that that longing will be filled once we get that perfect job or get that perfect relationship, but we realize time and time again, the things that we want ultimately don't satisfy us. This problem of satisfaction is a human problem. It is a, a problem that has been with us since the beginning of human history. In the story of Genesis chapter 3, humanity was tempted to find satisfaction in what their eyes found desirable rather than trusting in God. And because of this, there is a curse. There is the curse of sin and evil that enters into God's good creation and enters into human history. Genesis chapter three, verses 17 through 19 says this. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the food. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Due to the curse, the world, because of sin, has this pattern. We work for bread, but the bread does not have lasting satisfaction. Therefore, we have to toil and work for more in order to give momentary satisfaction and sustenance, and then the cycle repeats until we die. To dust we shall return. This is our lot in lives. This is the human condition. In the, in the language of the profoundly honest Old Testament wisdom literature book, Ecclesiastes, you can have all that you could ever want and still face the harsh reality that it is not satisfying, that your life is meaningless and your life is but a vapor. Now that we are all depressed, Let's go to, to John chapter six, all right? John chapter six, starting in verse one. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing, 
the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew, he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love Jesus. He's so sneaky. Verse seven, (laughs) Philip, Philip, we love Philip. He's practical. He's fiscally responsible. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. One bite, that is not going to satisfy anyone, let alone a crowd of thousands. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that area and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Customary of the time, 5,000 isn't even counting the women and the children. So this would have been a much greater crowd than 5,000. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves, uh, of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the great miracle of Jesus satisfying the hunger of a great crowd. But this is not where the story ends. The crowd is fed, naturally they get hungry again. And Jesus, he he disappears, but they want Jesus to do the, you know, magic out of the bread out of thin air magic trick thing. You know, they, they want him to do that. They want him to perform this miracle. But Jesus sneaks away, because he knows they want to make him king. I don't blame them for wanting to make him king because if I'm being honest, my ideal ruler of the world would be someone who could miraculously out of thin air just create pizza. In fact, I I would like to think I would read this leader's policy and do my research and homework and see if I agree and all of that. But if I'm being completely honest, you give me free pizza, you have my vote, right? So that evening, Jesus, he, he goes to a mountain, he hides from the crowd, they want to make him king. He, he, his disciples go into a boat, and then Jesus walks on water and comes to his disciples in, in the boat, which is another cool miracle story. We're not going to get into it just for the sake of time. But verse 23 of chapter 6, let's turn there. Then some of the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus calls him out. He's like, hey, you're, you're looking for me because you're hungry again, right? In fact, the the crowd, they're hungry for two things in particular. The first is obvious, it's food. 
And so the biblical scholar, Alice D. Myers, she points this out, that the ability to cure and provide food are two qualities associated with ideal kings in the ancient Mediterranean world. So they're like, hey, you give us food, you heal our sick, you have our allegiance, we want to make you king. Therefore, the second thing they're hungry for is this, that's power. They're hungry for power because if their guy is king, that means the Romans, their oppressors, are no longer in power. They want their guy to be in power. They want power. And Jesus sees that their desires are for things that that don't fully satisfy, like food and power. So he says this, verse 27, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. This is interesting because it it goes against the human rhythm that, that came about due to the curse of Genesis 3 that we read earlier. You work for food that spoils and you continue working and you're never satisfied until you die. But here, Jesus is saying that there is actually a new reality breaking into the present. Heaven is invading earth. There is a new way to be human, and it involves working for bread that doesn't spoil. This bread that that never spoils, it not surprisingly piques their curiosity. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, they're saying, okay, Jesus, we'll believe if you do the magic trick with the bread thing again. We want more bread. This reminds me of my, the, the first kid who became a Christian when I was a junior high pastor here at this church. So there, one Sunday, I was early on in being a junior high pastor, there was a kid who came up to me and he said, hey David, I brought my non-Christian friend Ben and he is interested in becoming a Christian. This is my moment. This is what us youth pastors long for. This is why we do the, the, the pizza, the games, the events. We want to see kids come to know Jesus. So I'm like, ah, yes, this is my moment. But then he said, but there's, there's one catch. Ben said he'll become a Christian if you give him 10 donuts. <laughs> so... I said a quick prayer like, Lord, what do I do in this situation? I mean, 10 donuts, that's a lot. That's not going to be good. So uh, we bargained and I said, okay, would he become Christian for six donuts? (laughs) Ben agreed. So I took six donuts and gave them to, to Ben. And Ben just started chomping down on them one at a time. And as Ben is eating these donuts, I'm trying my best to share the gospel as clearly and passionately with this kid. He gets down to the last donut and I'm just like, so is that it? You want to become a Christian? You want to follow Jesus? And he's like, yeah. That was my first convert, so it was great. Uh, Just like Ben wanted six donuts before he believed. The crowd, they, they 
want the bread again before they believe? How many times do we come to Jesus with the things that, that we feel like are gonna satisfy us? So we say, hey Jesus, I'll follow you if, or I'll believe you if. So the people want more bread before they believe, and they reference this Old Testament story about bread that came from the sky, bread that came from the heavens. In the, in the, the Jewish story, the, the, the people of Israel, they are freed from slavery in Egypt. They then enter the wilderness where there is no food, there's no water, but God miraculously provides food, this bread from heaven, bread from the sky that is called manna. He provides food. Even then, this miracle story of satisfying the hungry Israelites in the wilderness was pointing to a greater miracle that was to come. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 3, this is years after God provided this bread from heaven for his people. Verse 2, it says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." The curse of Genesis 3 about humanity toiling all the days of their life for, for food that doesn't last is already being reversed by God. The curse is being reversed. God, in his great love, centered on Jesus, is on this mission to reverse the curse and restore all things. And Jesus, just like the people of Israel who, who wandered the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus, after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days but unlike the people of Israel, Jesus passed the test. Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days, and he was tempted by the devil to make bread out of the stones. But Jesus, in quoting Deuteronomy, says, man does not live on bread alone. By abstaining from food in the wilderness, Jesus is modeling to us what it looks like to find satisfaction in something greater than bread, for humanity does not live on bread alone. And let me tell you, bread is pretty great, but it was even more valued in those days. In the ancient Near East, they, they saw that bread represented strength and sustenance. It was the centerpiece of the meal. Bread represented life. But Jesus, in the wilderness, is finding strength and sustenance in something that is not physical bread, but something else. So knowing all this, this is what makes Jesus say next remarkable. Go to verse 32. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. That's a logical request, but they're still thinking about the heaven that fell from the skies, the physical food that filled their physical hunger. But Jesus is talking about something greater. He is talking about a, a food that satisfies the deeper desires of the human soul, which is far greater than momentary hunger. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, and this, here's where things get very interesting. 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What is Jesus saying in this? Here's what Jesus is getting at. Their desires are misplaced in food and in power, just like our desires can be misplaced in all kinds of things, like like comfort, security, success. But Jesus is saying, hey, no, true satisfaction isn't found in these things. True satisfaction is found in me. True satisfaction is found in Jesus. He is the true food that gives satisfaction to the deepest longings of our soul. They want Jesus to give them more food, physical food, but he is pointing them to the food that truly satisfies. Church, as with physical food fills an internal hunger, so Jesus, he is the true food, the true bread that that fills the void in our soul. The world may tell us that this, the void, the deepest longings of our soul is fulfilled in, you know, internally, whether it's like finding yourself, being true to yourself, or externally through, through sex, comfort, or success. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It, it, the true food that gives satisfaction to the deepest longings of your soul is me. I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. The crowd experienced this incredible miracle of the satisfaction of hunger with five loaves and two fish. But Jesus tells them that finding satisfaction in food is not lasting. However, there's good news. There's another miracle, a greater miracle. It's the greatest miracle that that the hunger of our souls finds satisfaction in the true bread of heaven. Before church, this is the hope that is offered to us. Satisfaction of the deepest longings of our soul. Do you want to experience that miracle of satisfaction? This miracle is available to us today. The crowd may have missed it, but the bread of life that brings true satisfaction is available to us right here, right now. And this miracle of satisfaction can be experienced partially in the presence, whether it's through being aware of the presence of God or experiencing the presence of God through a Jesus-centered community. As with what Julian of Norwich says, until I am essentially united with God, I can never have full rest or real happiness. However, if we're being honest, even if we've been following Jesus for a long time, there is still a longing, still an ache inside our soul. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. This longing, according to Lewis, was a sweet ache. It wasn't frustrating. It was like, almost like a lover longing for the future union of their spouse. So let's return to the question. What do you want? What is the deepest longing of your soul? The invitation of Jesus is this, to find satisfaction for the longing of our soul in him. In the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. 
The ancient Christian practice of fasting trains us in this. This is the practice of disengaging in something, traditionally food, for a set period of time. And this is paired with focused engagement on prayer and seeking the presence of God. Now, I am terrible at fasting. I have a voracious appetite, all right? A a, a few weeks ago, I I did like a a 24-hour fast, which is just dinner one day to dinner the next. So nothing like overly impressive. Some of you are like, hey, that's good. Some are probably like, I could do three days, no problem. Whatever. I, but there was, uh, so I, I set my mind to doing this 24-hour fast a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I woke up confident. I woke up that morning. I skipped breakfast. I skipped second breakfast. And then lunch turned around, came around and I was getting really hungry. I then got, uh, you know, the staff, we all got a, a staff email that day saying, hey everyone, there is free Chick-fil-A in the break room. <laughs> I did not have one Chick-fil-A sandwich, my friends, no. I had two. <laughs> and some waffle fries, like I fell hard. <laughs> But I mean, it was Chick-fil-A. I mean, the Lord would probably be fine with that. If it was Taco Bell, something, you know, that's. <sighs> My encouragement to you, B4 Church, is this. With the guidance of a pastor or mentor, and this is very important, uh, and maybe even in partnership with your community of friends, what could a sustainable rhythm of fasting look like? What do you need to disengage with for a set period of time in order to have focused engagement on the presence of God? This could be social media or TV for a set period of time. Whatever it is, the invitation to us is this, to redirect our minds from what satisfies in the moment but doesn't last to what has eternal satisfaction, the presence of God. God. And as you feel the longing for what you are fasting from, this is an opportunity to bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, help me find my satisfaction in you. And hear me on this. It is not a sin to delight in food or to delight in the good gifts of this world. See, we live in a beautiful world made by our good and loving creator God. But more often than not, if we're being honest, we have found satisfaction or tried to find satisfaction in things other than God himself, in the gifts instead of the giver. And it's because of this, as we see in Genesis chapter three, that a curse enters our reality, that that sin and evil are present. And now we, every one of us, have an internal longing that nothing in this world can satisfy. But here is the good news. Here's the gospel, my friends. Here is the good news that God in his great love for us has provided, miraculously provided what our souls will truly find satisfaction in the true bread of heaven in Jesus. But how does this miracle of satisfaction in the true bread of life, how does this happen? Well, the nature of food is that it is something outside of ourselves that fills an internal longing for food. But in order to fill that hunger, food must die. Chickens must die. Plants must die. Yes, vegans, like the rest of us, you are murderers. Food (laughs) must die in order to fill us. As with food, Jesus died to give us life. He says, 
For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And when Jesus is feeding the crowd, it says he, he distributed the bread to the crowd. In other gospel accounts, it says that he took the bread and he broke it. Jesus, in breaking the bread, knew what this represented. The bread was his body. And by breaking the bread, he knew that he was to be broken so that broken people may be, find healing and wholeness in him. Pastor Timothy Keller, who died uh, about a month ago, he said this, the bread of heaven is not just a person. The bread of heaven is a broken person. But Jesus did not remain dead. He defeated death, rose again to victory. And those of us who find our life in him, we will also with him be raised to life. In verse 54, Jesus with this crowd seeking physical bread, he closes this conversation by saying, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And it's because Jesus is the broken bread, he, is, he was broken for us, that we now take communion. So I want you to take, take the communion elements. And before we take communion together, we're gonna to spend uh, just a, a moment reflecting. Reflecting, confessing, repenting. I want you to ask yourself the question, what have I tried to find satisfaction in outside of Jesus? And as you, in partnership with God's Spirit, do that internal search, let's confess those things to God, to repent, to return to Jesus, our true source of satisfaction. There, there is no shame here. Shame in the name of Jesus has no place here. But there's freedom in confession. So let's just take a moment and, and reflect. What, what have I tried to find satisfaction in other than Jesus? Jesus.